That was a uh, musical rendition of Psalm 23. And we're going to talk about later, um, we're going to get to that maybe in about 20 minutes or so, <laughs> why Psalm 23 um, really touches the depths of our hearts. Um, but as you can obviously see, we're, we're not here just for cosplay with the, uh, the sheep uh, things going on. We are here to talk about shepherding and sheeping and, and knowing what it's like to know God as shepherd. And, and one of the main metaphors in the Bible is this idea of flock, is this idea of herd animals and uh, this idea of sheep. It's an idea that uh, I think perhaps we're resistant to uh, because the quality I think that we most associate with sheep is that of unintelligence, uh, of dumbness, because uh, they are filmed quite often now and put onto reels doing things like this. It just looks painful, doesn't it? Oh, poor guy. Oh, wait. He's free. Yes, he's free. He did it. <sighs> and there are, there are many more out there with similar traits, similar uh, responses. Oh, he, Jeff, you did it. Slow-mo. Now, I'll tell you what. It takes a pretty intelligent animal to hit dead center at a sprint, that trough, okay? You know, we see things like that, and, and we tend to want to disassociate ourselves from that, but, you know, sheep aren't dumb, universally. Herd animals, let's talk about it like that. I grew up more with cattle than I did with sheep. Herd animals, they, they can be dumb about some things, but really smart about others, I mean, I can't identify my own young by smelling it or licking it, but they can. You know, they know, they remember their paths through the, through the pastures. Oh, not yet, Jeff. Put it back. Jeff. Oh, my gosh. I'll talk with Jeff later. You know, they, they, they remember things. You remember things. You know what? You remember, you remember traumatic events, right? Like, it's not, it's not fun. You remember when bad things happen? So do sheep. So do herd animals. So do cattle. I would always, we'd always have, we'd round up our cattle, and, and it wasn't a full-time gig for us. My, uh, my father was a pipe fitter. My mom was a teacher, but we had cattle as like a supplemental income, and so um, we probably had 80 head of cattle that we would take care of on the weekends and after school, and um, every, every summer, it'd be time for shots, Okay, you'd have to give immunizations, you'd have to get shots, you'd have to give dewormers to these, to these uh, big creatures. Um, and before you could actually medicate them and give them what they need to live a healthy, flourishing life, you had to corral them, you had to get them into the pen, and there would just always be one that had that wild look in its eye, right? That look of, uh-uh. I remember what happened last time. Because you what? You'd have to, you'd have to gather them. You'd have to scare them. You'd have to get them into the pen, and then you'd have to load them into the chute, and then you'd squeeze them. They're called a squeeze chute for a reason. There's a giant lever. You put all your weight on it, and, and it squeezes them, and it traps them in the rib cage so that they can't move. And then you can jab them in the neck with some really big gauge needles to get through that hide and get through that skin. And then uh, you might have to, you know, and some of the worst stuff is when a, cow, a cattle, a cow would get pink eye. All right. Now, cows get pink eye in a different way than uh, humans get pink eye. When a cow gets pink eye, what happens is, is it starts to form a white cataract over its pupil. And so cows can go completely blind by pink eye. And flies obviously are transmitters of this 
disease. And so they always have flies around. Like some, I mean, think about it. You ain't flies around you, right? Imagine if you're a cow. You don't have a, you don't have a hand. You've got a swishy tail. It stinks like your own manure, right? This is not fun. But so they can't get it off. And so what happens is, is you might notice a cow has a white cataract slowly blinding it. And so what has to happen is you literally have to get this cow into the chute. You've got to squeeze it. And then you've got to loop a halter around its head, jerk its head to the side, pin it to the side of the chute, so that you can then take another needle and inject the serum into, its, into the underlayer skin on the eyeball. <laughs> and in some cases, you have to lance it. I'd remember that too. And you'd always have a cow that could remember the trauma and remember the pain and remember what it was like. And it just would look at you and, and it just would be like saying like, not today, <laughs> not today. You know, I, I don't know that uh, we share that many differences, you know, or, or I'll say it like this. We do have many of the same similarities. Um, we are not unlike herd animals ourselves. We can be scared, we can be frightened, we might need medication, we might need things that are unpleasant in the moment done to us so that we can have a better health outcome. And, uh, and, and we're resistant to that, we're resistant to pain. I think what we have to know and what we have to understand about the shepherding sheep metaphor, the shepherding herd animal metaphor is that uh, it, it's, not, it's not uncommon for sheep for goats, for cows, to get lost. My dad still gets up and checks cattle in the morning and counts them <laughs> and sees if he can still come up with the same number each day because you just don't know what might have happened to him overnight. They wander and get lost. We wander and get lost. We end up in places we should not be, places that are not good for us, places that are not safe for us. The most lost, if I can define lostness like that, let's just define lostness like that. Not being where you should be, okay? Let's make it simple. Not being where you should be, being a certain amount of distance, a certain degree of separation between where you should be and where you shouldn't be. The most lost I have ever been is in a place called Yakutsk, Russia. Now, Jeff, you can bring it up, all right? Just the first one, just the first one. When I was 16 years old, um, I signed up for like a pay-to-play wrestling trip, okay? I wrestled a lot. Wrestling was a big thing in my life, really big deal. It was a sport I was really into. And so when I was probably like between my sophomore and junior years, I signed up. Uh, my parents signed me up. We knew a coach who knew a coach who was taking a trip to Yakutsk, Russia, to do like an international, and it just was like, cool, I'll get to see Moscow and the Red Square and the Kremlin, and like it was kind of sites, part, part like foreign language trip club, you know, like see some really cool stuff, um, but then part, um, you know what, and go wrestle while I was over there too, and so I went with probably like 16 other high school kids to a place called Yakutsk, Russia, and you know you're in a place far from home, you're very, you've wandered off the beaten path when there's a, there's a, there's a museum called the Kingdom of Permafrost, and there's a museum called the Mammoth Museum. <laughs> it's very far from home. How far? Um, this is zoomed in a lot. Let's zoom out one more and kind of start to get a picture of uh, where I'm at in Russia at this point as a 16-year-old. Let's zoom out again because I just feel like, oh, there. So you see that where that little river bends? I'm basically in the middle of Russia. Do we have one more or is that, is that the furthest there? There it is. So 
I don't know how far I was from home, but I know I had to take a flight to Brussels and Belgium, and then I had to fly to Moscow and then take a car all the way to Siberia. And it was a great trip overall, except there was one night where, uh, where you know, I'm traveling with some coaches um, that I, I didn't know quite personally very well, but it was kind of like a friend of a friend referral. And uh, they were probably in, I would say now looking back on it, they were probably like mid-20s, maybe early 30s coaches. They were, they were coaches at like um, universities. They, they coached wrestling at the college level, and they were the ones in charge of this trip. And uh, they got bored, I think. And, could, and they couldn't leave us alone in our hotel, so they said, let's go to a discotheque. A Russian discotheque. Have you ever been to a Russian discotheque? I have. So I go to a Russian discotheque as a 16-year-old, and that was, oh, I, it, honestly, being inside the discotheque was pretty uneventful. I don't remember much about being inside the discotheque. It was pretty uneventful. It was probably like on a Wednesday night or something like that, you know? What I do remember was when it was time to leave, we'd go out the back, and we go down the steps, and it was still, uh, it was late, it was probably like 11 o'clock at night, but it was still light enough because we were in close to the Arctic Circle and all that good, good nonsense. And I remember walking out, and on the street, there were like four or five guys beating the life out of another guy who was just bleeding on the, bleeding on the street, bleeding on the alley. And I was like, this is not where I should be, you know, like that, like, oh, no, let's go this way. And as we're walking off, one of them uh, that spoke English says, how about you five Americans fight us five and we just see who wins? <laughs> like it's a great pastime or something. I don't know. But I'm 16. I don't want to. I'm conflict avoidant anyway. So like that was not even close to my like realm of sure. Let's check. I didn't know I had this on my bucket list, but let's do it. Um, and thank the Lord, right? Like you don't know how like say like the grace in your life until like well after the fact like how maybe god got you out of some really nasty situations luckily the one of the coaches that was walking us home that night he was just a big heavyweight guy like just big large six you know like jacked and he just says how about i fight you five and then we see who wins and he says boys going back to the hotel and so i don't know what happened after that like i literally like we did exactly what he said and us like boys just walked back to the hotel and I still, to this day, I know he came back. I don't know what happened to those five guys. Like, I literally don't know to this day how that situation turned out. But looking back on it, I can realize, like, I should not have been there. <laughs> that is a situation of not really realizing, um, not realizing lostness, not realizing where, where I was wandering, not realizing um, the danger around me, and then all of a sudden having this moment of like, oh no, this is, this is a bad spot, a really bad spot to be in. Where, where are you most lost at? If you want to think about it like that, just kind of a simple definition, like where are you most not where you should be? Now, that might be a direction in your life, right? You know, we can think about it in terms of direction, like I should not be moving in this direction. So there's a, there's a certain aspect of that, like I should not be moving this way in life. This is probably a direction in life, uh, maybe in my personal world, maybe in a relationship, maybe in a career choice, maybe, maybe just in how you think, you think about yourself. But you shouldn't be moving in that direction, um, so there's, there's a direction in which probably you're lost, most lost in. There's also a certain degree of lostness, like how far down that road have you gone, right? Are you, are you just kind of like one or two steps down that road? Or, or have you put miles, have you put miles 
on that road and the wrongness of direction that you're walking in. It's really important to identify where we are most lost, where we most should not be, where we are most separated from health, healing, wholeness, integrity, character in our lives. I also think it's, it's not just important to identify where we're lost at, but how we got there, how we get lost. Because if we don't identify how we get lost, what's going to happen? You're not going to understand the mechanisms. You're not going to understand the cycles. You're not going to understand what keeps, you f- keeps, keeps getting you back to those spots you should not be in. And so what I want to suggest to you kind of right now is like, uh, there's, there's about two ways. There's two ways I can think of when it comes to how we actually get lost. We know we end up in places we should not be. Like that, that's easy enough. And we just need to admit it. We just need to be, we all end up in places we should not be. But it's important to imagine or, or to understand how did we get there. And so I think we get there um, either by grazing or bolting. Okay, I'm going to lean into this. We, we get lost by grazing or we get lost by bolting. Now, what I mean by grazing, we'll talk about this first here, is is animals that graze, they're just kind of like really locked in to their hunger, right? They They just are really just searching for that next meal, and so they've got their head down, right? They're just eating kind of mindlessly. They're eating, they're filling themselves kind of thoughtlessly, right? And they're just kind of wandering. I mean, when you watch a National Geographic episode on the plains of Africa or whatever, what are the animals that, uh, let's think about gazelles, you know, like which ones are the, the lions pr- pr- preying on? Who are the ones that get eaten? They're the ones that are strayed away from the herd, right? <laughs> They're the ones that are the ones that are easy enough to pick off. That's what a predator is looking for. And so you have these animals, and they just, they're just following their animal instinct. There's a certain amount of calories they need to fill them up, and they're not really aware of the danger around them. That's what I think grazing is. Grazing is an under-awareness or an under-sensitivity to the danger around you. It's having your head down, just being focused on whatever it is you think is going to fill you up the next, and you're not aware that it's leading you away from safety. It's leading you into a place where you could be easily preyed upon. See, everyone hungers, but if you're a grazer, you don't know when to stop. You don't know when you've gone too far, because you're just focused on that next bite, that next hit of whatever it is that makes you feel satisfied. And there's a lot of things, I think in our modern world today, you know, one of the things that we hunger for that can trip us up is like, like, let's just talk about recognition, right? We all have a hunger and we all have a drive and, and you've got to identify yours. It's not going to be the same for everybody. You have a drive, you have a hunger, that, that there, a craving that is probably more likely to lead you out of safety and into danger than, than perhaps the person sitting next to you. Recognition might be that for you. That desire um, to measure your worth and value by the position or the title that you hold in life. You like to see your name at the top of lists. You like to get, um, you like to get promotions. You know, you equate your worth with how much you're getting on that paycheck. You like to be praised. 
A lot of us hunger and crave that kind of recognition that makes us feel like we're worth it in life. Another hunger um, that, that drives us, I think, is that idea of a, that, that, that sense of approval. And I mean that maybe less in the uh, public praise that recognition has, but the person, like there's a person in your life. Not just the public play, praise of recognition, but there's a person in your life whose approval you crave. And you hunger after that. And you're willing to, um, to really kind of lose yourself to get that one person's seal of approval. Many of us, um, again, because entertainment is so prevalent, many of us just hunger for entertainment. Like, we're just, we're just kind of stressed. Let's just think about it like that. We're just kind of stressed. And so when you get done with your day, you just want to zone out. You're, you're, you kind of crave that, like, detachment from reality. And so it's just so easy to get on your phone. It's so easy to uh, get on a show. And you just really, you, you crave something to make you feel happy. You just want to feel happy. You really just want a dopamine hit. <laughs> I think what happens is we go down these paths where, we're, again, we're, we're kind of unaware of what's driving us. And, and let's just stick with those for, for a second. You know, we're unaware of our hunger and our craving for recognition. And so uh, that leads to workaholism and overworking and burnout, especially with our careers. What do we have to measure ourselves today as modern people? A lot of times it's just our career. A lot of times it's our accolades. It's something that we get growing up and we get through the school system. Uh, my wife's a public school teacher, so I'm not dogging on it at all. <laughs> like, uh, I love it. But it's just how it works, right? We grow up and we get graded. We start thinking about college and we start thinking about what degree I need to get. And so we just, it just innately happens that we get on this path of, I got, I got to get to the next level. I got to level up. And we spend so much of our lives pushing and pushing and leveling up and leveling up that we don't know how to turn it off. And we neglect our families. We neglect our relationships so that we can get that next bar, that next rung on our career ladder. Approval, man, you just... The, the pain that comes when you lose yourself. When you become somebody else entirely. Because you hunger for approval so much. You might change the way you look. You might change the way you act. You might change where you go to the school or where you decide to live. Just based on one person's approval or disapproval of you. I think of like the lostness or the wandering. You know, not being where you should be when it comes to pursuing that hunger of entertainment all the way down the line. That's where so many of our addictions come from, right? I mean, that's what an addiction is. It's just a dopamine hit. Whether that's a sexual addiction, whether that is a shopping addiction, whether that's a food addiction, whether that's um, a workout addiction, even working out too much. We're all in this spot where we crave things, and it's easier to crave what's right in front of you and fill yourself up with it. But if it's not God, it's not going to nourish your soul. And it's going to bring back that law of diminishing returns. And so all of a sudden you look up and you go, holy crap. Where am I now? I've ended up in a place where I should not be. And so that's, that's what I think about grazing and having to ask, are you a grazer? Is grazing something that happens in your life? You kind of mindlessly put your head down. You're looking for that next thing to satisfy whatever craving, whatever hunger you have. And you look up and you're like, holy crap, I should not be here right now. 
Bolting. Bolting would be the opposite of that. If grazing is an under-awareness and an under-sensitivity to danger, bolting is an over-awareness and an over-sensitivity, meaning you're, you're, you're so afraid of your circumstances, or, or maybe not afraid isn't always the right word, you don't like your circumstances, that you, you flee or you charge. You flee or you charge. Because we would have cattle, like I said, if I can bring it back, we would have cattle that you would try and round them up and they would flee. Some of them would just, again, they would bolt. They would see you coming. They knew what was happening. I don't know if they had some kind of gene that would be released at a certain time of the year. They're like, oh, it's shot day. <laughs> Better go to the farthest corner of the pasture. But you had some, when you got them in that pen, they would charge. They did not like being in that pen. And so they would put their head through you or offense. It did not matter. And some of you are bolters. Some of you need that kind of, uh, uh, to be in a pen. Perhaps you need um, some help in your life. Perhaps you need to push through some conflict. I, I tend to be a bolter. If I want to talk about like my own personal temperament, I tend to be a bolter. I hate conflict. I just don't like it. It's something I have to force myself to do. I have to force myself to speak directly. I have to force myself to give honest criticism to others or tell people when I don't like what they're doing because I just would rather, uh, I would rather not face conflict. I flee from it. But I tell you what, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be with my wife. I wouldn't have my three kids if I followed my bolting instinct. Because I can remember back in college when I first started dating my wife. Uh, my wife's name's Erin. Probably met her around here. You know, and I got scared. I had like the classic cold feet. <laughs> like, you know, like in a relationship, you see it in a movie, whatever, but like the classic cold feet is as I started pursuing my wife and dating my wife, I got really scared. When it started to look like this relationship is going to be real and it's going to be intimate and I'm going to have to be vulnerable and I, like I knew what was inside of me, but I was scared to let her see that. And I just got a ton of anxiety, and I wanted to bolt. And I remember having a conversation with my wife, probably as a 22-year-old at Zona Rosa. That's right, the Zona Rosa. And I remember telling her, I said, you know what? I'm sorry, but, but I can't date you right now. I, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm having a lot of anxiety in my world right now, and I just don't know what's going on with my feelings, and I do like you. But I don't know how I'm going to work this out, and if you need to move on, move on. If you need to move on, move on, because I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to fix this. And now luckily, you know, again, through the grace of God, I had a community around me, and this community said, Justin, you know, you're bolting, you're fleeing. Everybody feels scared. Everybody's scared of being vulnerable. Everybody has crap inside they don't want the other person to see. That's part of a relationship. That's part of becoming one with somebody. And you got to accept grace and love and not be perfect, you know, not, not, not live to those standards. So that, that's more of a bolting. That's more of a fleeing that I felt inside of myself. But um, charging. Some of you guys are chargers, aren't you? You got that anger thing, right? And, you are, and if you don't like a situation, what are you going to do? You're going to put your head through somebody or a fence. And you're going to push through it, and you don't care what happens in that moment. You're operating by your instinct. You're operating out of your dislike for the situation. And you're just as lost. Because if we define lostness as not being where you should be, you, you, you're not where you should be. <laughs> you've pushed through. You've gone your own way. It's important for us to recognize if we're, gonna, if we're going to fight, uh, not fight, but just if we're going to break, 
break cycles of habitual lostness, of habitually finding ourselves where we should not be, we have to identify where are we lost, and we also have to identify how am I most likely to become lost? Am I, am I a grazer? Do I mindlessly chase after desires? Am I just looking to fill myself up and I'm not paying attention? Do I bolt? Do I charge? Do I flee? You see, all of, all of our hearts, what they're really branded with, you know, a brand, the sizzling, what our hearts are branded with is neediness. And that's why it sucks to admit that we're sheep. It sucks to admit that we're essentially in need, in perpetual need of help. But that also explains why Psalm 23 speaks so deeply to our souls. Is because we identify with the need that King David talks about in Psalm 23. And we're going to read it right now. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You know, chances are that if, if you've never cracked a Bible open in your life, you still have heard a piece of that. <laughs> You've still seen a piece of that. That was written about 3,000 years ago. For 3,000 years, those words have meant something to people. Because it answers the basic need of our soul. What, what our drama team just said right at the beginning, right at the beginning today, what did they say? You're made for a shepherd. We are needy. We are hungry, we are thirsty, we are restless, we are scared, and we need someone more powerful than ourselves. We need someone more powerful than our circumstances to protect us, to comfort us, to keep us safe. See, the Bible, what it really is, it's a blueprint for how your heart works. Sometimes we get mistaken about what the Bible does, its function, and, and what, you know what the Bible's not going to do? It's not going to tell you who to marry, but it might tell you why your heart might want to marry somebody else's heart. The Bible's not going to tell you what job to take, where to go exactly. The Bible's not going to tell you how to parent your children exactly, but it will explain to you your heart and why your heart might be better suited to take this job over that job, or why your child's heart might be better suited for this style of discipline versus that style of discipline. The Bible isn't this set of just, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of rules on how to make life be perfect. What the Bible does is it explains to you your own heart, 
so that you can start taking agency and ownership over your decisions and you can start choosing whether or not you're going to follow God's paths or follow your own paths. There's a verse in the Bible that really kind of sums up today and sums up our, our particular situation here on earth as creatures. And that's what the Bible's going to say too, is that we are creatures, we live in creation, and ultimately we have a creator. And so we have to live in proper relationship with our creator. And, and this is what Isaiah 53 says. Isaiah is a prophet. He's right kind of in the, the last part of the, you know, it's kind of right in the middle of the Bible, and he's really calling us out. And Isaiah says this about humanity. <laughs> and and he's, he's God's mouthpiece, really. So it's really God speaking through Isaiah, if you want to think about it like that. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. That's, that's what sin ultimately is, okay? When we talk about sin, um, especially maybe from a speaker's perspective, like if Sean were to or Roy were to or any guest speaker that we were come in to speak about sin and that word, we don't do it to heap guilt and shame on you, okay? I think it's really important. We don't talk about sin um, to heap guilt and shame on people. We talk about it because it explains the nature of our hearts. And so if what I want for you is for you to be able to manage your way through life, if I want for you to be able to, uh, again, have a schematic for your life and how uh, uh, life and relationships work in this world, you need a category for sin. Because if you don't have a category for sin which Isaiah is defining as following your own path, not following God's path, it's like you're trying to put a puzzle together and you're missing some pieces. <laughs> You'll never complete the picture of your life. You'll never complete the picture of your heart if you don't have a concept for sin. Sin is following our own paths instead of God's path. And what is the result of sin then? If, if, if I'm following my own path, versus following God's path, what's ultimately going to happen is I'm moving in a different direction than God, right? So separation. Separation is what results when we follow our own paths versus God's path. We are separated from God. We wander away from Him. We are separated from others. And we're even separated from ourselves. We don't understand ourselves. How could we if we don't have all the pieces to the puzzle of our heart? And if we don't have all the pieces, we're not going to be able to work with God and partner with God to make our lives and the lives around us and the entire world a better place. You know why your heart cries out for a, sh for a shepherd? Because of the way the Bible starts. Again, this is a map for how our hearts work. Eden. The Bible says that we lived, we were created by a creator. There was this creator who lived in infinite eternal community, loving community. And what God wanted was to share that community with his creation. And so he creates a place called Eden, which is the perfect garden. <laughs> Man, isn't it nice to walk outside in like the stillness? Like, have you ever been to like a really peaceful outdoor place? Gosh, doesn't your heart just like, like there's scientific studies I remember listening to a podcast one time where um, these, this, this uh, I don't know, a university started taking um, PSDT, uh, PS, you know what I mean, <laughs> veterans 
on three to four day hikes in the wilderness. And they could measure the amount of peace and the amount of, of, of restoration that happened in their hearts and in their minds just by spending time in nature. My daughter just started playing a video game, and it was, uh, we got Stardew Valley. It's a, it was a really cheap game. I was just like, sure, it's like Minecraft. But, it, but the whole game, this whole video game starts off with, uh, it's like a little 8-bit thing, and it starts off with a, a grandpa giving his little daughter or son, whoever, whichever character you pick, a letter. And on it, it says in this letter, you open this up, this is the very beginning of the video game, and it says, dear, dear Isla, there's going to be a point in your life where you're tired and you're worn out. And you're going to know when to open this letter. And then it cuts. It cuts to all these little characters in cubicles. <laughs> and they're working for this corporation. And it's side-scrolling. And one of the cubicles is a skeleton. <laughs> and then little Isla, Isla gets up and leaves and opens the letter. And do you know what's in it? It's a deed to the grandpa's farm. And he says, here, this is yours. It's yours now go. And the whole video game is now just her farming and fishing and making friends. It's almost like we're created for that, you know? Like, we're created for the peace of, of, of nature. We're created for um, the rest. We're created for the safety. We're created for the comfort. It's almost like Eden, this idea of the Garden of Eden. It's almost like it's imprinted on our hearts. It's imprinted on our souls. It's what we're crying out for. It's what we're always trying to get back to. But we get lost. We go our own way. Our great sin, if I, if I can say that, and again, I don't use that word to heap shame. I just want to explain to you your heart, okay? Our great sin is that we are sheep that make ourselves shepherd. We're not supposed to do that. We are creation, not creator. And so when the sheep make themselves shepherd, the shite hits the fan, okay? <laughs> Found a way around it, didn't I? <laughs> Put up Ezekiel. Jeff, get me Ezekiel 34. This is in the middle of the Bible. We're, we're sticking to some of the prophets. If you want to know where some of the scripture is coming today, it's prophetic scripture. It's basically a point in the history of people where God sees how badly things are going, and he chooses some people to be his mouthpieces. So he picks people like Ezekiel, he picks people like Jonah, he picks people like Daniel, and he picks people like Ezekiel to speak to the, the cruddiness of the current situation of the times. And so this comes from about 600 BC. That's when Ezekiel lived. And Ezekiel says this, this message came to me from the Lord. Again, it's Ezekiel speaking on behalf of the Lord. Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. And they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all of the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one no one has gone in search for them. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. What happens in our hearts? Our hearts are always tempted with self-preservation. The need to take care of self over others. And so when you get into situations where you're panicked, where you're scared, when bad things happen, especially that bolt or charge, it's like we, 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 we can't help but put ourselves in the shepherd spot, even though we're sheep. And sheep are just bad shepherds. <laughs> they weren't created to be shepherds. We were created to need a good shepherd. And that's what Ezekiel's pointing to. Ezekiel, all the way back in 600 BC, is pointing to what John writes about in Jesus and what John was there to record. Go ahead and put up John 10. This is Jesus. Jesus steps into the vacuum that Ezekiel was explaining. Ezekiel is explaining a problem and Ezekiel is explaining a promise that's going to come, that God is going to send a good shepherd, a true shepherd, an ultimate shepherd. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles. Jesus is doing things like raising people from the dead, showing miraculous things that you and I would scoff at, that you and I would say, uh-uh, liar. But things started to happen. And Jesus said, in the middle of that confusion, in the middle of all that, he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Doesn't that just describe what we heard in Ezekiel? I mean, that, I mean that's just, leave that up there. It, that's just a picture of exactly what we saw in Ezekiel. It's when the sheep become shepherds, when they try to run things, they end up working for themselves. The temptation to put yourself in front of others, to get what you want um, in front of what other people want, it's just too much for us. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too, those that are not in the sheepfold, which is a pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. That's what we're yearning for. We're yearning to get back to that Eden. That's, that's what we want because that's what we're created for. A place of rest, like Psalm 23, 1 says. A place of safety, like verse 4 says, where we can walk through the valleys of life and know that, that there is a shepherd near us. We're created for an Eden. We're created for a pasture. We're created for a garden but we go our own way, we get lost, we wander, we roam. We need a good shepherd. We don't need to make ourselves shepherd. 
That's kind of the chief sin. That's the chief temptation is to make yourself shepherd of your life, to take control instead of asking Jesus to take control, to plan your own course instead of listening to Jesus and listening to what he says is good to plan your course. You know, what Jesus came to deal with ultimately is the sin in our heart. Because you guys know it. Just, just because you say you're going to follow Jesus, and maybe that's what's keeping you from saying you follow Jesus, or that's keeping you from really believing in Jesus, is this idea of like, how's that going to make my life any better? Like, crap's still going to happen, right? You're still going to lose people. You're still going to lose relationships. Bad things are going to happen. But what Jesus wants for you, what Jesus wants for all of us, is, is he wants to break the power of sin in our heart. And so what Jesus ultimately came to do, because bad things are still going to happen, but he wants to set us free from the inside. And so Jesus, and this is what, the, what it explains, is Jesus switches us places. See, what, what would be the opposite of separation? Closeness, right? Nearness. That's what your heart craves, is nearness, closeness. To be close to your God to be close to your shepherd, to be near him. And so what Jesus is saying and what he's trying to get us to understand is, is that there's this great exchange that happens. The shepherd, the great shepherd, becomes the sheep, becomes like one of the sheep. And he lays his life down. That's why Jesus is referred to as the sacrificial lamb. There's other pieces. This metaphor is really deep. If you want to just look up all the Bible verses, just Google it. Bible verses that have to do with sheep, lambs, shepherd, flock. It's enormous. But what happens is Jesus comes to this earth. He says, if you follow me, if you learn to listen to my voice, I'm going to lead you back to the nearness and into the garden, into the Eden you're created for. And I'm going to take your separation and put it on myself. And I'm going to give you my nearness to my Father, and I'm going to give it to you. Jesus takes on the consequences of our sin, which is separation. He puts it onto himself, and he gives us his nearness to God. In verses 30, in John 10, verses 27 through 30. He continues and says this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. There are certain verses and scriptures in the Bible that if you learn to etch them and brand them onto your heart, they will give you a confidence, not in yourself, but in Jesus, that will allow you to walk through the darkest valley. That's what that verse is. To think about it as when we follow Jesus, when we become his, when we become placed in his hands, when he puts his hand on us, to think about nothing being able to snatch us out of his hand, it gives you incredible confidence to walk through any darkness in your life because not even death itself can take you away from Jesus. One of the things that we think of as the worst thing in the world, death. If you're in Jesus' hand, what does death actually do? It only brings you closer to Christ. 
your Savior, your Eden, your King. That's the kind of safety that your heart craves for, to know that even if I get hit by a truck, <laughs> I'm only, I'm only going to be closer to God. I'm only going to be closer to Eden. I'm only going to feel more loved out of the worst possible circumstances. That gives you a kind of confidence and security to walk through life that, that allows you to say, I don't need recognition. <laughs> I have Jesus' recognition. I don't need to fear the darkness because he walks close to me in every single moment. Would you pray with me, please? Um, Father, we really can't comprehend what it means to have you exchange places with us. Somehow you came into this world sinless. You lived the life we should have lived. And you died the death we actually deserve. But through that, somehow through that mysteriousness, by faith, we exchange positions. You get what we as sheep deserve, and we get what you as shepherd deserve. And we find ourselves so loved. You become so near. You take on our separation. You take on our separation. And you become nearer to us, nearer in heart than we could ever imagine. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.